priest friend of mine had this practice to recommend to her church after last week's disturbing parable about the fig tree being cut down. Pick up the Bible and start reading. Somewhere in the Gospels, but anywhere you like in there. Start reading. Read until you get to something that bothers you. Until you run into something that Jesus says that surprises you or hurts you offends you, it doesn't actually take all that long. We have a reluctance to do this with the Bible. We're supposed to, I don't know, revere it, accept it unquestioningly, or handle it with sanctified gloves and keep it in a little gold box on the altar. But trust me when I say that when you let these stories curl your lip or creep uncomfortably up your spine. It's what they're meant to do. Jesus is a great rabbi here trying to provoke you. Feel this. Wonder about this. Isn't God beyond the image you have made? But the problem that comes up over time is that our patterns of reading the story become ingrained. They have a familiarity that stunts our ability to feel them anew. A friend in another town asked me what color the rectory was, and you know, I've lived here since May, and I couldn't answer. (laughs) Familiarity breeds complacency, and in my opinion, there is no story in the Bible that lulls us more into a false sense of understanding uh, than the parable of the prodigal son here in Luke chapter 15. The text tells us that the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. But the religious folk didn't like the smell, didn't like the company, didn't like what those people did away from Jesus, didn't like them. Look at the kind of people he's attracting, they say. So Jesus tells not just one parable, but three right in a row. Imagine you have a hundred sheep, he says. hundred sheep? All right. So I'm rich, pretty well off at least. But unlike faceless, soulless corporate accounts, these are sweet Stubborn, silly, bleating sheep who depend utterly upon you. One day, you're leading them around in the wilderness, and you notice one has gone away. Which one of you, Jesus asks, doesn't immediately leave the 99 sheep in the wilderness to go and search for that one lost sheep? At which point we as the audience might nod pleasantly to ourselves as a good and familiar feeling washes over us with the telling of this parable until a little light bulb goes off in your head and says, no, no, none of us would do that. You'd lock up the 99 sheep before you abandon them. What do you think, what do you think 99 sheep are going to do without your constant supervision? 99 versus one. Have you met sheep? What kind of shepherd are you? Like, you hope for the best, but really, you just cut your losses 
you forget the sheep. But God searches for the one and leaves the rest. Out of a hundred sheep, losing and finding one is what matters. Not a sheep-maximizing profit strategy or even safety. The loss is what's urgent. Jesus goes on. Imagine a poor woman with ten coins. Each is worth about a day's labor. She's lost one of them. Not sure how. And logically, we can only blame her since coins have even less directive will than a sheep does. But in any case, it's lost. And she loses her mind over it. She lights a lamp in the middle of the night, sweeps her house thoroughly, stays up all night in her absolute mania. It's like she doesn't even notice the nine coins that she has left. And can't you just imagine her husband leaning over and saying, Dear, can't this wait till morning? She finds it. And at that moment calls her neighbors for a party like she's won the lottery. Jesus says, who wouldn't do this? Me. (laughs) Sorry, you want to have a party over finding a coin that you lost in your house? What a strange lady. But Jesus calls God an impoverished woman, says she lights a lamp and sweeps the house to the corners and throws a party with money she thought she had lost. God is someone who really doesn't seem to understand this ownership thing. She's only concerned with the losing and the finding. Finally, Jesus says there's a man with two sons, and one of them demands his inheritance and runs away. Now, by now, you should feel the stakes getting ever higher in this succession of parables. Jesus is raising the anxiety in the room. First, God has lost one out of a hundred, a one percent loss. Then one out of ten, ten percent. One out of two now, a full half lost. One sheep gives way to one piece of gold, gives way to the loss of a child. Nowadays, maybe you'd call that son a junkie. I worked at a drug rehabilitation program for a while, and Greg was a student in the program who took everything he could from his family and ran away, spent it all on living prodigally. A word you don't hear much outside this parable. It just means living largely, excessively. Then the famine came, and he was living in gutters where pigs don't even trespass. Greg ran back to his family, skeletally thin, weeping, penitent. After some days of shelter and nourishment and love, he stole the credit cards and ran off again. He did this over and over. And Greg's story was every story that came through that program. Rebellion, return, 
relapse, until the fathers and the mothers and the grandparents stopped saying it was okay and finally said, no more. You've got to get help. The story of the prodigal son, we don't know what happens with him after this. We do know that some of what Jesus' point is, is that we are him, all of us in some ways, living excessively and with disregard, but welcomed back again and again by a God able but somehow unwilling to keep the score. We are also the responsible older brother. We watch this welcome and we feel offense. We feel hurt to realize that Jesus says that the person who never risks anything in life never grows up but becomes deeply bitter. An overly controlled and sheltered life leaves us older brothers unable somehow to participate in the joy of the life of God. Jesus doesn't tell these stories because they're the feel-good family comedy of the year. They're not Zen stories of timeless wisdom we're hearing. He is provoking us, if we have ears to hear. To grow into God's likeness, we must see the things about ourselves that we do not wish to see, to hand them over to a being who is so beyond myself and the ways that this world works that it can give me some new perspective on life. May you know the words that have the power to do this. I am a sheep. I am a coin. I am a lost son. I am the responsible, people-pleasing oldest who cannot risk anything and so fails to live. May it hit close to home. And may you know God, not this constructed entity you create through the lens of your experience, not merely an inner peace, May you know God as a shepherd who wrecks our ideas about security and profits. God as a manic old woman obsessed with only the losing and the finding. God as a father, prodigal as his own wayward son when it comes to throwing a party, who celebrates experience over sinlessness whose economy is entirely of mercy. When you feel the impractical, provocative gaze of mercy turn anew to your own soul, you'll know you're getting close.